This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick White. Joining me this week are two fantastic people that are just into comics as much as I am, or at least I'd like to think so. Uh, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, the two individuals joining me are Kara Shamborski. Hey. And Renee Rodriguez. What's up? How's everybody doing? Uh, let's let's start with you, Kara. How, how have you been? What have you been reading? Uh, fill me in on on the deets. If that's <laughs> something people still say. <laughs> you guys are like a bunch of old men between wait no, <laughs> okay between the deets and then like so I was just about to use the word rad, but I don't know about it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now you feel like oh well, I was gonna pass out the worthers, but no worthers for you. Dad, <laughs> don't so. fear the raditudinous of the worthers, caramels. <laughs> So speaking of nostalgia, I I read volumes one through four of Giant Days, and it's the first time I've sat down and reread the series since reading it as floppies as it was being published. And let me tell you, it's still great. It's still so great. So uh, for those of you who haven't read it yet, Giant Days is is following the adventures of three friends in their first year of university and it's so funny and feels so genuine that when I'm reading it it feels like I'm back at college with my friends and I actually just bought and sent the first volume to one of my best friends from college because I was like here read the thing feel like you're back there with me even though the girls in this book are going to school in the UK and I went to school in New York but you know the same, the same, same sort of things happen, except not exactly because I don't have a drama-prone goth friend like Esther in Giant Days. <laughs> I think we all just wish we could be as have a, as cool a friend as her, but sadly she's fictional. But yeah, that's that's me. That's my week revisiting Giant Days and realizing it is so great. I didn't know that that book took place in the UK. I don't know how no one has ever brought this up with me. To be fair, I haven't read it. It's not like this is something I read and didn't figure out, but no one ever said this was a, a, a British book? Yeah. it. Uh, so the publisher is Boom Studios, which is American, but within the first couple issues, they make it pretty clear that they're going to university in the UK. And then as the volumes progress, you start seeing more name dropping as they go to different places in the UK on their on their school breaks and so forth. Oh. Oh, I never I never got that. I thought they were totally in Canada. Nope. It's it's the UK. Well, uh shame on me then for not catching that. <laughs> <laughs> we're all learning something today. When you say floppies is like you read these on floppy disks? <laughs> the oh, the no. individual comic issues as they were being released as a monthly periodical floppies what? singles why are they called floppies because uh, because they're cause floppy they, they, they flop. flop is this a new thing no 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 <laughs> wait have what, you, what do you call you're not making fun of me you, you really them? don't know this i honestly have no idea that this is a thing yes I thought- like when you guys were talking about that in the chat, I was like, what are floppies? What is this? Floppies are the single what do you, comic what do you call issues. Them? Just, just single issues, Renee? Yeah. Are you, a, are you square? I call them singles, single issues, singles. the issue. Floppies. Weekly okay. issues, monthly issue. I've never heard them called floppies until uh, the IRCB peeps. It's like, okay. it's like industry slang, Renee. <laughs> well, am I in the industry? No. You are now. I'm just a consumer. 
You know you're not. You're a podcast guest. Not for long. (laughs) (laughs) Invitation rescinded. (laughs) Okay, okay. Not Um, tubular, Nick. Not tubular. (laughs) Is this book still going, Kara, or is it done at this point? Uh, I think it's it's still ongoing. Yeah, because uh, the latest issue was my first... My, my comic pick a couple months ago. Um, but I just was in the mood to sit down and reread. And I found out that pretty much all of the issues are available on the Hoopla library catalog for my library back home. So I'm able to access all of them on my device of choice. And that has been super convenient. Dang. I was going to say for those uh, listeners who are also interested in getting into giant days, even though it's, been recommended so many times at this point that i feel like you've probably already gotten into it i know that boom um so much of boom is on comiXology unlimited that i'd have to wager it's more than likely a hefty part of um giant days is also available via um cu if that's something you're into so excellent uh what what about you renee what have you been up to um what have you been reading i i am hesitantly curious why are you hesitantly curious? You make it sound like I'm into weird stuff. Bring on the manga, Renee. It's just <laughs> manga, okay? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> I don't know if I want to now, but I will because okay. the listeners need to know. Uh, the, the, share it with the people, Renee. <laughs> so uh, I've read recently, uh, okay, so the latest chapter of Tokyo Ghoul Re by Sui Ishida really fucked me up this week. It was emotional and even though... This, I, I brought this up the last time. It's confusing as fuck. I don't understand anything that's happening, although I kind of do now, but it was very emotional this week, but it was good. But the real thing that I want to talk about is this um, volume. is one of my favorite series. I read the last, like, three or four volumes, maybe two. I don't remember. But it's Kakaishi, and it's basically about these two uh, families that protect a sacred land from demons. And it's awesome, and it gets really complicated, but it is amazing. It's one of my favorite series, and the ending is also an emotional train wreck, but in a good way. And, uh, yeah, that is what I read. Sounds and like you were great. doing a lot of like self-emotional flagellation this week. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. No, all, I can, all I can think of is the scene in The Da Vinci Code where Paul Bettany is just, uh, you know, hitting his, his back with the, whatever that's called. I've never seen. Did no one else see this code, movie. So I, I, um, I read the about. book. Are you referring okay. to like a cat of nine tails? Was it like a like a whip with lots of yeah? It was like a bits? flagellation device. I don't know if they have another term for those. Um, anyway, I'm not going to say go out and see the movie. It was it was okay. Um, whatever. <laughs> this isn't about the Da Vinci Code. Um, Nick, what did you read this week? <laughs> yeah, great. Thank you for asking. Good save. Uh, <laughs> um, two of the big things I want to talk about that I read um, include Dr. Star in the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows. Um, number two, this is from Jeff Lemire, art by Max Fiumara, uh, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Nate Picos. Max is probably best known for doing Four Eyes with Joe Kelly for Image, um, as well as pretty much penciling nearly every single issue of Abe Sapien since 2013, when that series began. Um, 
This book is part of the Expanded Black uh, Hammer universe. It follows the Dr. Sherlock series, sorry, Sherlock Frankenstein series that we had, um, which ended earlier this year, uh, and will be followed by the Quantum Age, which is set in the far-flung future. That begins in July. Um, so this Black Hammer series is, is expanding massively. Um, we're already on the second big arc called Age of Doom of, of the main series. We've already, like I said, we're in the in the middle of the second mini-series. Se- We've got another on the way, but I really, really appreciate uh, the fact that Dark Horse has really put some quality work into this franchise, if you want to call it that. I suppose it is one. They've really paced out these um, mini-series or, or series, whatever you want to call them, uh, so that readers aren't having to juggle two or three books at one time, which in terms of reader fatigue and in terms of uh, wallet fatigue, uh, that's great. I appreciate that a ton. There's only been one or two points where um, issues from one of the series and issues from another have like slightly over- overlapped, so you've had to buy two issues in one month. Otherwise, they've been pretty good about that. So I really appreciate that, and the fact that if you only read the main series, it's not going to hurt you. I feel like DC and Marvel love to tell their readers that you can only read the main, or you only need to, you only have to read just Infinite Crisis, or you only need to read Final Crisis, and you can skip all the other stuff, and, and it'll be fine, but... It's not fine. Exactly. Most readers know by this point, it's not. Definitely not with Final Crisis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and especially for readers who are um, more likely to read and trade or who like to sort of just catch up on things after the fact, something like this is so much easier to juggle than, you know, I was... When, when I picked up Final Crisis, I only knew like a few years later that I had apparently been missing out on all these other little singles and things like that that got collected in weird volumes and, and that was a mess. So... Beyond that, I just really love how this series continues to be sort of an homage to big two books and sort of make a, make casual jokes and create analogs to big two characters. Um, in this volume, they're lamenting some of the quote-unquote newer heroes, um, including Skull Digger, who uh, they complain all he does is blow people away with a gun. And yes, Skull Digger does look a lot like Punisher. <laughs> you don't say... Uh, what's hilarious is then they rag on the character who's complaining, um, whose name is Wingman, and they're like, well, all you did was bludgeon people with a mace, so clearly that's <laughs> clearly that's Hawkman. So, um, just a lot of fun. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Copra by Michael Fief, um, who, did a, who set out to do an indie series, which is basically just um, much like Black Hammer, creating characters that are a lot like uh, pre-existing characters, except he was going for Suicide Squad. So, a 1980s Suicide Squad. Um, the other big book I read was Quantum and Woody number 5, uh, written by Daniel Kibblesmith, drawn by Kano. Um, this is their last issue working as a team. It's also the last issue of the Kiss Kiss Clang Clang arc. Next month, we'll be getting Elliot Rahal, who wrote The Paybacks, and Francis Portella, to take over, and then we'll get somewhat of a tie-in issue to Harbinger Wars 2. This issue involved uh, them, Quantum and Woody, going to Australia to try to reconnect with Woody's dad, who has been a real uh, deadbeat father up until this point. Uh, And I guess the best way to sort of get at the heart of this issue is, like, if you really love Australia, or if you probably live in Australia and you take things very seriously, this book is probably not for you. 
let's just say that the Sydney Opera House, I, I hope it's really well insured. Uh, I hope that they've got some really nice plans in place. Uh, and beyond that, uh, this issue goes out with a real bang that has a two-page splash that's a 48-panel grid fight scene between Quantum and Woody and the marsupioids, which, yes, it's a evil team of marsupials that have been augmented with technology. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. Just go ahead and imagine a koala with a mech's body, and that's what we've got. There's a point where Woody is shooting a kangaroo in the face and says, I haven't seen this many pouches since the 90s, but dum tish just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. I'm super interested to see what uh, Ray Hall brings to the series, but uh, Kibble Smith really finished this arc with a bang. So, Nick, what is Quantum and Woody? What is Quantum and Woody? So, Quantum Briefly. and Woody is a yeah. It's sort of a buddy. I guess it's it's sort of a buddy cop sort of story, except they're not cops. So I guess they're just buddies. It's a buddy story. Okay. I guess, and um, they're um, adopted brothers. And Woody is kind of a problem child and can't really focus on on things. And he has the ability to basically zap things with powers and make them explode. Uh, And Woody is able to generate force fields. uh, And because they were, you know, unfortunately involved in a lab accident, which is what seems to happen nonstop in comics. Honestly, OSHA needs to really look into this. Um they have to clang these bracelets that they have together every 24 hours or both will um disintegrate at the molecular level so wait what yeah that has yeah i i have never known that about this series like i i think i kind of got the vibe that it was like a mismatched buddy thing but at no point was it revealed that it's kind of like a weird ass wonder twins with spin right so they've 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 sorted the ultimate issue of any buddy um cop or why did i say cop they're not always cops you don't have to be cops to be buddies <laughs> it's it's 2018 everyone um they've remedied the issue of if these two people hate each other so much why do they have to stay together so i think it really marvelously solves that issue um yeah um they were in a lab experiment that was meant to give powers to one individual but because they were both in the booth when the magical ray or whatever hit them it split the powers between the two of them and unfortunately it also means that they have to stay together and clang those things every 24 hours or yeah they disintegrate so um pretty genius i would say Mm -hmm. i feel like that would make a really great and by great, I mean annoying for everyone else. Halloween costume, because you could modify it where, like, <laughs> someone is quantum and someone is woody, but you have to clang bracelets every hour. And I feel like as the party would wear on, you would get more and more obnoxious about it until you were, like, leaping over people being like, clang! Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if you think about the, you know, attempts to have a romantic relationship or any of the other complications that come with not being able to be a solitary individual from time to time. Yeah, there there, there are complications to be sure. So beyond that, comic books come out on May 23rd, 2018. Uh, Renee, let's have you go first. What are you, what are you excited for? Well, I was going to pick a regular American comic um, for what I was excited for, but since you guys were like, bring on the manga, I'm bringing it on. I am excited for Haikyuu Chapter 303 by Haruichi Furudate. We are in the midst of Nakoma vs. Karasuno. 
This is the Battle at the Trash Heap, which, if you've read Haikyuu, that means a lot to you. It means absolutely nothing to Kara and Nick, but that's okay. That's right. We are at the end of the first set. This is a manga about volleyball, by the way. It's awesome. This is the this is the match that we have wanted to see since the beginning of the series. It's the unstoppable offense meets the immovable defense. It's the brain versus the king, and it's so on, and it's amazing. The art is incredible. It's beyond incredible, and it just I'm so fired up. Renee, yeah. I have a question. Uh, <laughs> as someone as someone who played volleyball in middle school and high school, can you please explain to me how a story about volleyball has lasted for 303 chapters? <laughs> because it's amazing. It's so well done. It's not just the games, although the games are a very huge part of it. It's also about um, you know, how the team comes together. Everyone's dealing with their own issues and the way that they feel about the sport, the way they feel about training for it. Um, there's also just sort of the chemistry between the team, sort of the idea of the history of their school and then what they want to do. And there's all kinds of things tied in. So it isn't just about volleyball, but it all just kind of circulates around it. But the matches are really well paced out. They're drawn, inc- they're so incredible. And that it's it really does get you excited, especially if you have played that sport and it does mean something to you. That adrenaline kicks in, and you sort of feel like you're in the middle of that moment. And it's really, it is really like an experience to read this series. Or you can watch the anime, which is also incredibly well done. Like it, it's hard not to watch it and to get psyched. Jeez. Okay. Renee, you make this sound like this is sort of the culmination of a lot of stuff we've had leading up to this point with this book. Is is this the end? Um, no. So this there Maybe at, never uh, dies. Well it does. It does, <laughs> but like this It just fades away. Here's the thing. This there's two schools who used to practice. they used to do like uh practice matches all the time and they're both scrimmages? Yeah. So they, they would do scrimmages all the time, but they never got to meet in actual tournaments because they're from different cities. So they're like, oh, we'll meet at Nationals, and you know we'll, we'll finally have it out there. And they're, it's called the Battle at the Trash Heap because of their mascots. They're the crows and the cats, and they're like, the only way that would end up is you caught them in an alleyway fighting over trash. So Ooh. it's the Battle at the Trash Heap, and the school's long history, they've tried to keep meeting at Nationals, but for one reason or another, they've never been able to do it. And so in this story, this current team, these current teams, they've, they're friends with each other and they're also friendly rivals and they're finally meeting at nationals. They're finally having this match and it's really, really great, especially because there's not like this sort of angry tension. They don't hate each other. They're just kind of really impressed with how well the other team is doing and they're getting more and more excited and becoming better teams as they play. And it's just, it's really, really exciting to read. I'm sorry for all the spoilers. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like that was spoilers. I feel like that was no, just no. like you being I, a really I, good hype man for a volleyball manga. Yeah, I was going to say, I sort of like imagined like Don King, like hyping the, whatever the next big like boxing match was as Renee went on about that. I was like, Renee's going to sell this. Okay. It's it's a really good series. It's one of my favorites. I, I, I actually buy the, the volumes. You know, I don't just get the digitals. I also buy the volumes because it's a really good series and the art and I've said this on Twitter, maybe you guys have seen my Twitter rants, but Haruichi Furudate and his assistants, I think, are possibly the best like artist team in the manga industry right now because Haikyuu is consistently beautiful 
and just shocking in the details they have in their art. It's it's beyond insane. I have to ask just because I, I always forget when you talk about these chapters. That's that's a a weekly thing or a, a biweekly thing. It's a weekly thing. It's they do it every single week. They get maybe two or three weeks out of the year off. That's insane. Whew. Okay. And and how long is a chapter again? It's about twenty pages or so. Oh my god. Wow. Okay. That's a that's a crazy crazy work schedule. Yes, it is. Jesus. Kara, what or did Kara say what she's looking forward to? I don't remember. I got all hyped. Not on Not yet. You were so hyped up in the volleyball. You got into it, Renee. That's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, this week, Lumberjanes number fifty is out, and I'm hyped for that because Lumberjanes. So Lumberjanes is a story about five girls who become friends at summer camp and yes there's a theme to my picks this week of uh, female friendships at common locations but um <laughs> lumberjanes i really like because when i first read it my initial reaction was oh my god where was this when i was a kid when i was at the end of elementary school or during middle school i would have devoured this series and you know i still i still do as an adult but i was like where is this the kids today are so lucky to have this (laughs) and it is a very well done all ages book about these girls having these adventures at their summer camp where everything is not as it seems and there are monsters and mythological beings running around and they go on quests and uh there's a lot of really um excellent uh, queer representation that is done in a way that does make it accessible for all ages. And it's a consistently charming and fun book to read. And it makes me feel like it's summertime when I open up a new issue. So it very, it's very exciting to see it reach such an impressive landmark as issue number 50. Did you read the miniseries where that crossed over with, um, oh, geez, what is that series? The Becky Cloonan Gotham one. It's a Gotham Gotham Academy. Yeah, I don't know why that didn't. (laughs) It's such a painfully obvious title. It wasn't even anything clever. I did read that miniseries, and it was also delightful. Okay, okay. Yeah, I read some of Gotham Academy, and I I considered the crossover, but um, admittedly, I had read the first volume of Lumberjanes, and it wasn't quite for me which that's that's fine as we say on this show not everything has to be for you nick stop complaining (laughs) um (laughs) i can't believe this is already at issue 50 holy cow it feels like it just arrived on the scene yesterday but it's been here for a while now how much has the creative team switched up on that book because i thought um aren't most of the original people gone at this point yeah they've they after the first i think couple of um completed story arcs they were shuffling the creative team a lot no it was a i think they've been reshuffled back in here and there but the current lineup is definitely not the original one and are you pretty happy with the new one do you feel it's about the same or or good but different or what's your what's your take on the quality of this book over time well i think that like for me i have a strong emotional connection to the earlier issues just because when lumberjanes came out it was so different from so many of the other Mm -hmm. books out there um Mm -hmm. so i like 
the early stuff, but I appreciate that um, they're willing to take chances on some new creators and try to tell some different stories. So um, I don't, I, I guess I have kind of like a neutral attitude about it where I'm just excited that they're still producing like good content about these characters who are so delightful and um, are so much fun to read about. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'll, I'll maybe have to, maybe I'll have to try it again at some point. Make the uh, effort, Nick. (sighs) Okay. I mean, has, 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 is Jeff Lemire writing this book? Why don't you talk about the book you want to talk about, Nick? (laughs) Okay. Jeff Lemire's writing that book. Um, (laughs) Jeff Lemire writes all my books. Uh, (laughs) so I want to talk about Terrifics number four, uh, written by Jeff Lemire, as I just pointed out. Super, 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 super excited because this is the first issue that Doc Shaner, or Evan Shaner, as you might know him, will be drawing. Uh, Evan Shaner is amazing. He drew Flash Gordon for Dynamite, which was uh, written by Jeff Parker. Uh, He also did two issues of Convergence about Shazam, I think, which were also written by Jeff Parker. Really, really great artist. Sort of has a nice... Uh, callback style that's more evocative of like I think the golden age but with a modern clean aesthetic to it Um, so if you're wondering why he's showing up with number four he was moving I think from California to Michigan Um, actually I think he's like 40 minutes from my house no Doc Shaner I don't know your address yet Um, look at you said yet that's terrifying Look, all I know is that apparently he's shown up at a couple comic book shops that I go to, and once or twice I've, like, missed him by minutes. So I think I'm just going to have to bring my Shaner issues to sign, like, every time I go from now on, just in in, in the hopes of finding him. Uh, So that's not creepy. Um, Didn't... So up to this point, uh, because he was moving from California, he had uh, Ivan Reyes draw the first three issues. And Shaner will be taking over um, at four, even though I guess apparently he's leaving at six to draw, I think, one of Bendis's Superman issues. I hope he comes back. In case you couldn't tell, he is the main reason that I'm really, really uh, up for this book, which in case you didn't hear me talk about this book before, The Terrifics is basically DC, especially when they set it up, doing Fantastic Four at a point at which Marvel was not interested and deliberately not doing Fantastic Four at all. So we have Mr. Terrific, who is super, super, super cool. Uh, We have Metamorpho, we have Phantom Girl, and we have Plastic Man, which if you follow DC at all, we didn't get Plastic Man at all during the New 52. He was the only majorly significant DC player that did not show up once. I'm sure someone will point out some other character. Did they just have Elongated Man Man instead? Or did they just not have a stretchy guy? I don't think they had um, Ralph Dibney either. Um... I don't think they had him at all. So no no stretchy men. No stretchy men in the new 52. It's going to be grim. It's going to be scary. And no no people transforming into contorting themselves into the shapes of other things. Not allowed. It's such a loss. So, yeah, I know. I know. I don't know. Some people think Plastic Man is too goofy. Some people think he's too creepy. I don't know. I think it's fine. Um, so, yeah. We're going to have Shaner with this issue. And Lemire has finally fixed a problem, much like they did with Quantum and Woody, of how do you deal with a group of heroes that really don't seem to get along, don't seem to have much in common, don't seem to like each other at all. Uh, How do you find a way um, to organically keep the group together? 
um, as a cohesive unit. So very excited for that. Kind of sad that he'll be taking a break after only two issues, but uh, I, I guess you take what you can get. So those interested in some Doc Shaner issues, uh, here they are. Did you read, like, so um, So the name Doc Shaner was familiar to me, and I looked it up, and I realized it's because he drew Future Quest. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so now that you're saying it's like an updated Golden Age style, I made that connection again, and I was like, oh, yes, that art will be amazing. <laughs> it's like... Yes, yes. Oh, totally. It's like kind of a sharper... Darwin Cook kind of thing going on. Totally, that's yeah. You, yeah, you, you hit the nail right on the head. I would, I would say it's a, it's a clean, it's a clean Darwin Cook. Totally. So, fans of Darwin Cook, check, check this book out. Fans of Future Quest, you definitely need to read this book. Um, and for anyone who hasn't read Future Quest, read it, read it, read it, read it. <laughs> Especially so awesome. if you grew up watching all of those amazing. TV shows like Hanna Space Barbera. Ghost and yeah. Johnny Quest. Yeah. And the Herculoids. The exactly. Herculoids are in there too, right? Yeah, Herculoids are in there. Um, yeah, I think you I think you hit all of the main... Oh, Birdman. Harvey Birdman, Birdman is, I think, the other, the other big one. So, <laughs> um, I mean, even my dad remembers Johnny Quest, you know, from him growing up. So, um, there was a, an interesting, you know, shared interest there. So, Yeah. Check it out, guys. This week, our focal topic for the show is why should I care about Spider-Man? So we have gotten together a uh, group of individuals that know uh, something on the broad spectrum of absolutely nothing about Spider-Man, to something about Spider-Man, to Renee, who seems to know quite a bit about Spider-Man, to discuss uh, the relevancy of Spider-Man, as well as why, especially I would assume, Renee has a a certain appreciation and affinity for everyone's resident uh, web-slinger, if that's what they call him, I guess. Uh, So first off, you should care about Spider-Man because Peter Parker is a precious angel baby. But okay. but that said, I should make clear that I've only read like max three Spider-Man comics in my life, and two of them involve Deadpool because I think they're adorable together. So, you know, but from like all other media, I get the impression that Peter Parker's just like this adorable dweeb trying to do his best who made a terrible mistake and realizes that he has this superpower and therefore he needs to use it responsibly to help people so that he can avoid trauma happening to other people, which is, which sounds pretty Batman esque, but since PD is like this adorable wisecracking dude, like the flash, it comes off less. My parents are dead and I am angsty and more like, Oh man, that thing that happened sucked. And I don't want that to happen again, but I'm also going to like try to be a normal person and not dwell in a cave all the time. (laughs) So for those joining the show late, what Kara basically said was great power, great responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Um, You sound unconvinced. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that apparently one of the interesting facts about Spider-Man is that 
assuming this is true i read it on the internet um <laughs> this was true the first then. time that you had a young protagonist that wasn't actually a sidekick or wasn't a sidekick before he had his own book so it was especially relevant in that respect oh you mean, I mean I when certainly... he emerged as the new character yeah exactly he wasn't a sidekick before and this was the first time that you had this yeah a character that um that was sort of a young protagonist that wasn't actually just a sidekick to an older protagonist. Yeah, because he was... Which sounds great, except it basically means you have someone who's going around unchaperoned, which is just irresponsible. Yeah, well, because he's, he's 15 years old, but at the same time, you like, Peter Parker's got the intelligence level of seven, you know? Is that what the Marvel trading cards told you? <laughs> yes. Yes, they did. The Marvel power levels. Marvel Metal is the standard that everyone should follow because it makes the most sense. I will stand by this till my dying day. I have never seen people quite as angry as when I've seen people in like a, a message board or a forum debating those like power level cards where they're like, why does Cyclops only have like a four in energy manipulation? That's bullshit. And it's like, okay. Well, because technically so, he doesn't have a good manipulation. We're not getting into that. We're talking about Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I want to start with an obvious question because Spider-Man is such a universe. It's it's like he's kind of up there with like Batman and Superman. Like oh, definitely. People, like people know who he is and the basics of his deal, even if they've never read a comic. And sometimes even if they haven't seen any of the movies or something, because maybe they saw a cartoon when they were a kid or they had a friend who was super into Spider-Man. So I feel like super Spider-Man is this like universally loved or at least appreciated character. So why don't you care about him, Nick? Oh wow. Um, I, I I wouldn't say that I don't care. I would. It's it's more apathy than than hatred. I would say. And of course, I think a lot of it simply boils down to the fact that he is a Marvel character. And uh, you know, when 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 I started rereading comics again, um, like. 2010 i did try to dabble in in both but i just as i've said before on the show i just kept feeling like i was getting sort of a half painted picture from both camps and so they were like pick a side now it's like fine so i think a lot of my um lack of spider-man knowledge sort of comes from that to begin with um i've seen all of the um sam raimi movies i've seen the first of the um mark webb movies and i haven't seen the new one which is probably the biggest mistake of the whole bunch is that i i know a lot of people have enjoyed that but i just uh haven't seen it yet it's really good it's so delightful really good renee why do you like spider-man um (laughs) so many uh i'm like actually tearing up thinking about it Oh uh, no, bullshit! Oh, no. Pick, um, way to go, Kara. Jeez, pick one, Renee. Pick one. Here's, stuck well, it here's, okay. So this is going to be a really aggressive questioning. This is going to be a really long <laughs> kind kidding. of rant, and so I'm very sorry, and I am going to get very emotional about it. Um, because I know that we've talked about you know my love for Superman and all that, and the only character that trumps my love for Superman is Spider-Man. Spider-Man's my favorite superhero ever, and it's because he's a very everyday person and you know he's he's also very young and he comes from a a, a, you know a sort of lower middle class family and his whole spiel isn't just about doing things because he didn't do this one thing it was because in the in the movies they don't do this they sort of show that his, his uncle ben dying was because you know he you know he was directly 
responsible for it. And in the comics, it's sort of indirect. He doesn't stop this one thing, and then it kind of spirals out, and then his uncle gets killed because of it, but it's actually more of this chance happening and not something so direct. But it shows that sort of spiral effect, and it's all about if you have the power to do something, you should do it. Why shouldn't I? I absolutely have to. And he puts so much responsibility on himself, and he tries to be a good person. He tries to be this best person, even in the face of all these constant horrible things happening to him. And just that ultimate perseverance in the face of overwhelming disaster is just something that I really, really have always loved seeing. And then he's also super quippy as well. So, you know... Is is there an iteration of the character or an arc that you feel like resonates with you the most? Because I know up to this point we've had how many different Spider-Men and how many clones and et cetera, et cetera. So is there is there a version that clicks with you or maybe one that, you know, in your formative years it it's sort of, you know, it's something you go back to? It's I mean, it's almost all of it, really. But, like, the old... At first, it was just like, I was like, oh, when I was a kid, it was like, he's really funny, and, you know, he's also got cool powers, <laughs> and then also the 90s Spider-Man comic, or Spider-Man TV show, had that wicked yeah. guitar intro, like, that was, <laughs> that was super rad, you know, that was, that's the raddest thing from, like, 1996, is that Spider-Man guitar intro, like, that's cool, um, but I guess it's just the the attitude in general of his you know, he keeps going. He, he wants to like, in during Dan slots run, which is fairly recently, but there's this arc where Spider-Man is starts working for a think tank and he's actually doing well for himself, but he spends his entire time at his think tank coming up with ways to improve Spider-Man so that nobody on his watch dies again, which is a very, very big thing to try and take on as a superhero especially when you can't be everywhere all at once. But he's like, no, I, I want to make sure that no one dies again on my watch. And just, even though like that's outrageous to think that that is possible, it's watching him try was, is like, it's really cool. I can't even express it that well. So I was he also trying to be Spider-Man at the same time? Or was this a, a situation where he sort of went into this, kind of executive position and, and let someone else take the reins because it reminds me a lot of when when Bruce Wayne sort of really became the leader of Batman Inc. slash Wayne Tech and kind of gave up being Batman for a while uh, to, to take on that more executive position. Uh, no, it's a, he gets a job at a different think tank because actually um, he gets an interview because J. Jonah Jameson's wife, they're now technically family because... J. Jonah Jameson's dad married Aunt May, so they're so him, him, oh, him and JJ are, are family. So what? JJ's new wife gets him an interview for this think tank, and he ends up getting hired. So all he has to do is at the end of each month he has to present he has to present new ideas to help the public. So he just kind of starts thinking of new ways to improve Spider Man. So he comes up with all these different like cool suits, and then he comes up with like, you know, practical everyday use for customers or for the regular people based off of his Spider-Man ideals. So when he's in his lab, he's just working on stuff to help better Spider-Man. And then, like, by the end of the month, he's like, all right, how do I take this and make it something 
practical. So he's Spider-Manning all the time, pretty much. And there's half a dozen times where he's in his office at the think tank, and they're like, hey, Pete, we're coming in. And he's like, I got to change from being Spider-Man. So, But he doesn't have extra clothes, so he just makes this joke that he likes to work in his underwear in his office. And it becomes a very big thing. And uh, <laughs> it actually comes in handy later, which is really a really very funny moment. But that that's when that... Although now... Or at least not now, but for a while there, he did have his own company. But I can't really explain how that came to be because there's too many things that spoilers that leads up to. So I I think that uh, the main reason why I have never really been uh, into the idea of reading Spider-Man comics is because there's just there just always feels like there's so much going on in those books and there's so much yeah. backstory that I would need to know. And I think because of in other media, they really lean into his more origin story era of being a teenager and doing that whole thing. Like in the comics when he's an adult, I'm like, Petey, like, what happened to you? You grew up? What is going on? And it's just like... I thought they didn't allow that. Yeah, right? So it's like always a little confusing. But I do really like a lot of the peripheral spider books um i like uh was superior foes of spider-man is probably one of my favorite um villain comics of all time because it it was a limited run a couple years ago and had just this hilarious lineup of villains that were totally dysfunctional and the whole thing was hilarious and quippy and the ending was a very satisfying conclusion and, and the whole premise of that book was that if if this group managed to get together, then surely they could, you know, do away with Spider-Man. Do I remember this correctly? Or um, I think they were doing more of like a heist-based situation. I don't think Spider-Man was really involved. It was more like of like a dysfunctional Ocean's Eleven kind of situation that wasn't as sexy. <laughs> and uh, I really like the the Spider Gwen book and the updated spider woman book and silk was pretty rad for a while so i really like those but i just don't really have an interest in actual spider-man when it comes to the comics because i I think i have this idea of who he is in my mind and then having like just the thought of having to follow all of this backstory and all these million things going on in his book it just exhausts me especially when they do something like spider-verse or Whatever that island thing was. Oh, Spider Island was just an arc in Amazing Spider-Man where a villain decided that they were going to turn everyone on New York or in on the island of New York, you know, into spider people. Stop it. Is that what it was? Yeah, that's why it's called Spider Island, because the entire island of Manhattan becomes spider people. Wild. Like when you say spider people, like. Okay, so do you do you remember the arc of man spider that was brought up like back in like the eighties. It was even had a small arc on the nineties um, cartoon. Is this like, like Batman's man bat counterpart? That, Kara, thank you because that is exactly where <laughs> my yes, brain's yes going. Yes and no. Like, so I'm a DC compare kid, everything to Batman. Right there has to be a comparison. Okay. So Spider-Man, as you know, he got his powers by being bit by a radioactive spider. However, yep. there's all of that being, introduced to his bloodstream that means his genes are constantly changing so for a while he was going through a drastic mutation where he gained it's called puberty he gained four more arms so he had six arms and um plus his legs makes eight 
So, and then he also was getting different kinds of powers because he was mutating. And then eventually he ended up, he ended up morphing into this gigantic man spider. And it was very scary because he thought he was becoming Ew. a mutant. He also thought he was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, lose my mind and this beast is going to take over and harm people. And it was a whole thing. He ends up finding a cure for it. And then his, his genetics kind of calmed down a little bit as well. And um, so in Spider Island, someone basically was just trying to make man spiders and not more spider men or women. Because, like, everyone was getting <laughs> infected and they would have spider powers at first and then they would transform into man or woman spiders. And that's what and when And when was this storyline? Because this sounds like possibly the most comic booky storyline I think this I've was, ever heard This of. was really recently, the, the Spider Island one. That was what? fairly recently. That was right before Superior Spider-Man. Because uh, it led into it because the um, technology that Spider-Man uses to cure everybody of the man spider serum ends up leading into how Dr. Octopus takes over Spider-Man's brain and becomes Spider-Man for a while. Oh. Oh, yes. is that what happened? All I know yeah. is that uh, uh, Osborne was Spider-Man for a while and it was not, very Not confusing. Osborne, uh, Dr. Octopus, Dr. Octavius. Oh. Because what, what happens is um, Dr. Octavius is dying because Spider-Man's been punching him in the face for years and Octavius yeah. is a normal human being and Spider-Man can lift a tank <clears throat> with relative ease. So oh. when you get hit that many times, your brain is going to dislodge, just like how boxers have that kind of thing that happens. And so he was, CTE. So he was dying and he ends up creating this uh, way to sort of control all these little octobots and that's how he infected or that's how uh, spider-man he put all the he put the serum in all the octobots and reconfigured the helmet so that he could use them um, to cure everybody on spider island however then dr octopus was able to have a connection into spider-man's brain and he forced their uh, memories to switch brains thus basically switching bodies and so that way, Peter Parker dies in Dr. Octopus's body, and Dr. Octopus lives as Spider-Man. Weird. I remember everyone flipping their shit when that yeah, happened. Yeah, because uh, Octavius was going to, like, he's like, now I'm going to ruin everything that you've done. However, then Peter's like, well, you're in my brain, right? So you can feel every memory I have and understand why I do what I do. So he made Dr. Octavius relive his entire life, but feeling that same emotional connection that way. Octavius would have to continue being Spider-Man because he huh. understands what's at stake. And that's what the superior Spider-Man is about. Jeez. Wow. Right? Um, I, I have a significant question about the Spider-Verse um, that maybe you can resolve for me, Renee. Um, in, in the film Spider-Man 3, uh, directed by Sam Raimi, came out in 2008, um, uh, Osborne's son, Harry, uh, is sitting in a cafe uh, played by James Franco. Uh, and and he remarks that the pie uh, is so good. What is it about pie in the Spider-Man universe that makes it so good? Because I have never loved pie the way that James Franco, um, you know, took a, a bite of that slice. And I, I really want to understand why why pie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is is so amazing. See, I thought you were talking about the Spider Verse and not the Spidey Verse. So, Wait, but those are different things? Yeah, because Spider-Verse is a oh, crossover no. <laughs> thing that happened fairly recently. and This is exactly why we can't get into Spider-Man. It has the depth of Batman. Uh, it's just 
as it's just as insurmountable. Uh, the only difference is you have Uncle Ben dying instead of um, Bruce and Martha Wayne. Also, no Robins. So. Yeah, Although I can't, yeah. I can't answer your question though about this. Oh well, yes, continue with I, the pie. I need to know. He's remarking about yeah, the pie. He's so obsessed. With he's it. remarking about the pie because he's a brand new person. He's wiped clean, so it's essentially like he's never had pie before. Oh right. <laughs> I think I, I never thought I'd say this, but I think I need to see that movie <laughs> again. <laughs> okay, wait, Renee, back to the, the Spider-Verse. Yes. Yeah. What about Which it? was? What's the oh, one that Spider-Ham oh, is that's in? Spider-Verse. So uh, Spider-Verse oh. is, so in, there was an old Spider-Man villain who wanted to hunt Spider-Man because he wanted to eat him. <laughs> and it turns out that... Um, that guy belongs to a family of people that go through all these different dimensions and they feed off of spider energy. And it was because originally they were afraid of them because there is this guy that um, watches over the web of reality. Basically, you know, there has to be... A, I thought that's what Madam Web was in charge Madam of. Web is connected to the, uh, the, the guy that... I forget what he's called... Uh, but the guy that spins the actual web and looks over everything, he's connected to Madam Web, but like she, he's more like her boss, I guess. So Madam Web exists and she looks out for Spider-Man, but the uh, actual like spinner, I'm just going to call him that because I can't think of his actual name. He actually like you know modifies the web and makes sure that each universe has a spider protector. And so what happens is this family of spider hunters is trying to eat all the different spiders and get stronger. So this is happening and it's going to break the fabric of reality so all the Spider-Men from different universes have to join together to defeat the hunters before they get too strong. This sounds very Oh, is this how Spider-Man Noir is a thing? Because that's a different dimension? Yes. Okay. This is what the video game Shattered Dimensions is based on. This is like Batman with all of those um, alternate versions. My favorite is Pirate Batman. Yeah. Oh, the the return of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. No, this is a different thing. No, Elsewhere, uh, like oh, Elseworlds Jesus. or something. <laughs> Comics, everyone. Oh, Elseworlds. Okay, so like <laughs> Gotham by Gaslight sort of. Yeah, thing. Okay. yeah, yeah. So basically, Spider Verse is like they're just different versions of this happening. Yeah, yeah, and Spider Ham comes from a cartoon world where Spider Man is a pig, and he got bit by a spider, and now he's Spider Ham, and Spider Ham is quite possibly one of my favorite things that came out of spider-verse because everyone is like this is ridiculous he's like yeah get over it it happens and it's just also like spider-ham just does no bullshit it's awesome and like he goes with everyone to because like he goes with everyone to introduce the new spider people to the fact that this is happening because they're like is that a cartoon pig they're like yep that's real so is this thing since you see a cartoon pig that makes this thing more believable like oh no that makes sense but also Spider-Ham is just hilarious. Like they're talking about like, Hey man, you almost killed me. He's like, dude, it's not my fault. You're so fragile. A frying pan to the face is like, you know, it's not even a flesh wound on my world. (laughs) Get over yourself. So I want to, I want to go to a question that Nick, you had written down in our notes of what is the OTP for Spider-Man? Because this is apparently actually a huge thing. So I was going to say like, I knew at least for you, Kara, this was going to be something that you, you probably had a horse in this race. (laughs) It's, it's so true. So, uh, like I said, I 
I grew up being aware of Spider-Man through various media where always like the girl was Mary Jane. So I was like, oh, this is like his lowest lane. It's like Spider-Man and Mary Jane together forever, blah, blah, blah. And then when I became like more of a comics person and then when they were coming out with the amazing Spider-Man movie a few years back where all of a sudden there was this blonde chick in there, I was like, wait, is Mary Jane blonde now? This is a different girl. What's going on? And I realized that Mary Jane has not actually always been with Spider-Man. His girlfriend prior to Mary Jane was Gwen Stacy. And it was this like whole turning point in his evolution as a character when she died and he was kind of responsible. Not kind of. He absolutely was. Okay. He uh, Han shot first in Spider-Man <laughs> we were trying to Mary give Jane. him a little slack a, there. The you know, thing, like he didn't give Gwen Stacy. Like he's, so. he is still not sure, but he's pretty positive. But Stanley himself has said, yeah, no, he definitely caused her to die. Right. So he caused Gwen Stacy to die. And then basically just a couple issues. I don't even think it was even a couple issues. I think it was like the next issue. Mary Jane shows up and she's like, face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. And then <laughs> just like together forever, maybe since then. No, but that's not the way it went. <laughs> I don't know. Renee, tell me. So Peter Parker, he actually was, had a crush on, um, on Liz Allen in high school, which is in homecoming. Obviously, but he actually meets Mary Jane in high school because he gets set up on a date by his uh, aunt's friend, who is their neighbor, who's Mary Jane's aunt. And so she sets him up with Peter, and she, that's where the whole face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot because he was forced to take her to his prom, but he had already asked uh, Liz Allen to go to the prom with him, or the homecoming dance, I think is what it was. So, well, actually, when they mentioned that Spider Man Homecoming was going to be the title of the movie, I was like, oh, I know what plot they're doing, and Mary Jane's going to be in it. Hmm. But they actually went a different way, which was cool. But that was the whole thing. So he's known Mary Jane for forever, but they didn't date. And Mary Jane actually dated Harry Osborne first, and they were together all through college. And Peter met Gwen Stacy in college, and they were very on and off again. And actually, Stan Lee meant for Gwen Stacy to be Peter Parker's Lois Lane. But then the person that was writing Spider-Man at the time then killed her. So that was the whole thing. And um, it took actually years for Peter and Mary Jane to come together because Peter was actually very devastated about Gwen's death because he was in love with her. And there's actually a comic where Peter um, dies for like a couple minutes and he's on his way up to heaven. He's like married to Mary Jane at the same time. He's like, that's so weird. Because I know I love Mary Jane, but right now all I can think of is Gwen Stacy. And he, it was probably because he was going to go see her at the time. And there's even... Uh, have you guys read House of M at all? No. Yeah. Okay, so in House of M, um, Wanda Maximoff gives everyone you know, their ultimate dream world. She gives them everything that they think that they want. And in that, Peter Parker is married to Gwen Stacy and they have a kid. And Uncle Ben's alive and all that. And... Uh, so Gwen, Gwen Stacy was Peter Parker's first real love, and so she was his college girlfriend and then dead, and then, then Mary Jane happened. And, but in between Gwen and Mary Jane, he had a couple smaller relationships. Like he had a relationship with Betty Brant and a couple other ones that I can't remember, and I feel bad about that. But, and then he also dated a cop fairly recently because him and Mary Jane are no longer together because of Joe Quesada, which... That's a lot. This is not the impression of... Who is not a comic book character, but... But is still responsible for ruining them. 
this is this is <laughs> fascinating. I I feel like the the stories that I've heard of the evolution of Spider Man's romantic life is not tallying with what you're telling me. So I've learned a thing. Thank you. Yes, yeah. I, I think probably what people have a problem with is they see him as sort of a um a, a dope. To the point that he shouldn't be <laughs> with all these different people. I think that's what people have trouble reconciling, I suppose. But Well, it's um, like escapism because like, I get the sense that Spider-Man is so popular because so many people kind of like see themselves as him. Because he's like a yeah. normal dude. He's like kind of an underdog, except he has superpowers. And not so, really a jock, not popular. Right, so yeah. it's like kind of escapism to be like, and he gets the hot girls which i have huge issues with but you know <laughs> so which 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 relationship do you do you prefer the most renee is there one that you you um prefer is there one that you connected with better than the rest or who, who do you think he's supposed to be with renee well since gwen stacy is dead he's supposed to be with mary jane <laughs> they have they have a wonderful relationship that spans a lot. They've been through a lot together. And, you know, Mary Jane also knows about all of his secrets because he doesn't keep anything from her after he lets her in that he's Spider-Man. He doesn't keep anything from her. And they have a very, very, like, tight relationship. Even now, they're not in a romantic relationship, but they still care about each other and they still talk. And, you know, she's very into his life. So that's the whole thing. But there is still a part of me that is like, you know... Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy, especially reading House of M, because like that's you know, it, it was it's like it's like you know having the person you love torn away from you. It, that's exactly what it is, and you know, and he's always gonna remember that. Has he ever given any thought to reanimating her? Because I mean, this is comics. Um, no, he actually doesn't believe in that because the Jackal did that. Um, that's a, a villain. That's where all the clones came from. Is the Jackal was actually a teacher at their college, and he was in love with Gwen Stacy, so he actually did clone her, and so that's a whole thing, and that's why Spider-Man doesn't like that whole bringing people back from the dead thing, because he's like, that's a perversion of, of the laws of the world and also against the laws of science. He's like, because they're not the same person. You know, they're gone. You can't bring them back. I was going to say, one of the only Spider-Man single comics I have is, um, what's the clone's name? Ben Parker? Ben Riley, because he takes, uh, he takes Riley's uh, maiden name. Yeah, I have the one where he ends up with a glider in his back. Um, yes, yeah, so that's that's the death of Ben Riley. That was about Ben Riley was Spider-Man, and Peter Parker had stopped being Spider-Man to be with his family, and Mary Jane was pregnant, and then Norman Osborn, um, who they thought was dead became a new villain called the rose and then he actually orchestrates this very big thing he he poisons mary jane so that his, hers and peter's um baby dies and then he kidnaps ben Jeez. ryan he kidnaps peter parker and they do a final you know fight and also at the time they thought they both thought that ben riley was the real original peter and that ben was the, or that peter was the clone and then ben goes to save peter and he gets a glider in the back and he then disintegrates into Ash, and they find out that he was the real clone. And then um, Peter seemingly kills Norman Osborn, but uh, he doesn't because comics. That's so comics, wow. yeah. <laughs> this, this really is peak comics. This is just... It really is, yeah. 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 So many clones. Um, 
Renee, what would you recommend for people trying to get into Spider-Man? Because if there's anything else that we've clearly illustrated today, it's the fact that Spider-Man is a difficult sort of, um, or a seemingly difficult topic to sort of break into or to, to take interest no, in. No, it definitely is. He, he's so hard to get into, and that's actually why um, before I read comic books, Mike had this website called Destroy the Side, uh, or Destroy the Cyborg, Destroy the Side.org. And um, I actually had a couple articles on there about, like, all the things you need to know about Spider-Man. And I believe that they still exist on that website, and you can check those out. Um, so, But if you really want to start, I would go with the Ultimate Universe Spider-Man, because it's even though there's still a lot of volumes of that, it's easier to digest. It hasn't been that long. Um, I mean, there's still, like, over 100 issues, but... It's still easier to digest, and it's new enough that people can pick it up anywhere. Uh, like, you can pick it up at Barnes & Noble or comic book shops. It's just easier to digest. And it's also less hectic than the regular Spider-Man books. Otherwise, like, it's really hard to find one-offs of Spider-Man that make sense without knowing the back history. So I would go with Ultimate Spider-Man, or like like Kara has done, read books that have Spider-Man in it, but he's not the focal point. Like Civil War, you you just need a general information of Spider-Man in there to see it. House of M, again, a general knowledge is in there. Or you could just read fan fiction. That's what I do for these complicated heroes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that works too. I don't know if Kara has any recommendations right off the bat, but maybe we'll have to grab some of those for the the show notes i also forgot you could also start with uh spider-man brand new day actually and then keep going with the trades up to the local point because brand new day actually rewrote spider-man's history so it actually has to do a lot of um re-explaining because uh a lot of things happened after after civil war that caused uh mary jane and peter to make a deal with mephisto so they rewrote a lot of Spider-Man history. So if you start from Brand New Day and then go on forward, there's a lot of that. And then um, also Spider-Gwen is really cool. And all of the other Spider-Verse books, the prelude to Spider-Verse, because they're all sort of one-off different versions of Spider-Man. Those are also really cool to look into because they you don't need to know anything going into that. I was going to say, before, uh, before we recorded the show, I read Marvel Knights um, Spider-Man. I think that's just what it was called, uh, written by Matt Kint and drawn by Marco Rudy, and uh, that was pretty decent as a standalone work. There were definitely a lot of villains, because the whole premise is that um, one villain brings together 99, uh, apparently, apparently 99 other Spider-Man villains uh, to take out Spider-Man, and um, despite not obviously knowing who a couple of them were... Uh, I still was able to keep up with it, and of course, Marco Rudy art is just fantastic. So that that in its own right was worth the price of admission. Yeah. So also, J. Michael Straczynski's run on Amazing Spider-Man is really good, and there are a couple things that. The, the, here's the thing with Spider-Man going into it, there's going to be a lot of things you don't understand, and there's going to be a lot of like, hey, we'll have to explain this later, but the meat of the book is always really solid because especially Dan Slott's entire run of Spider-Man it's really grounded in the character who he is what he stands for and just the fact that he's a person that's going to keep keep moving forward even though he's trudging through mud and his own entrails the entire time 
Yeah, there's a huge joke about that in, in that he has this thing called the Parker Luck, which means nothing goes well. Everything is terrible. Well, um, with that in mind, uh, I'm, I've got a few more quick questions for you, Renee. So maybe you can hit me with some some quick answers here on these. Um, uh, one is: Is Spider-Man Three really the worst Spider-Man movie? Yes, it is. Okay, what's what's second? Uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two. Amazing Spider-Man Two. Okay, that's the Jamie Foxx Shocker one, correct? Yes, and okay. the the main reason is actually that's not what most people think. It's the fact that they just it seemed like they didn't really trust the audience to figure things out, and they there's also just a lot of really dumb plot holes that make no sense. I even forgot that movie existed. Whoa! It's not great. It's not great. Especially I really enjoyed the first Amazing Spider-Man, especially since Martin Sheen was Uncle Ben. Oh. Best Uncle Ben. Perfect. He dies in like every movie lately. Remember him in The Departed? Oof. Anyway, um, Kara, I was going to ask what your worst Spider-Man movie was, but it sounds like you didn't even remember that that one was a thing. So maybe, maybe that's the answer right there. I, I don't I, know. I didn't, I didn't see that one, and I didn't see Spider-Man Three because the the buzz was so negative around it. I was like, life is too short. All right. Well, you know, some of us are true Topher Grace fans. So I guess <laughs> we're not gonna. <laughs> what what an embarrassment of ta- of talent in that movie anyway jeez thomas hayden church and uh willem dafoe and uh yeah and they still couldn't make a good movie very interesting um who's the most overrated spider family member oh i only know uncle ben so this or aunt may so i don't know if i can <laughs> answer ben. this <laughs> uncle ben just instantly disposable every time what do you mean by spider family as in people that have spider powers or that are related to yeah this? i guess that's what i was thinking mainly like people who have been some version of spider-man in, in some capacity or or some offshoot character is there is there one that you feel is overrated or one that also doesn't get enough credit oh that doesn't get enough credit um is probably Kane Parker. He had his own series. He was the Scarlet Spider-Man for... So Ben Riley was originally Scarlet Spider before he took over Spider-Man's mantle. And then Kane, um, Kane Parker or Kane Riley, I don't remember what he went by, but he was a failed clone of Peter and eventually he gets cured and he tried to kill Spider-Man for a while. He was a villain. But he ends up becoming a hero after the events of Spider-Island and he got his own... Um, series written by Chris Yost and it's amazing and it took place in Houston, Texas which is also really funny because like Kane's swinging around like Spider-Man does but there's not that many tall buildings in Houston so he runs out of room and he <laughs> falls to connect to, he like yeah. falls at first and it's really funny and it's a really good series because Kane is a different kind of Spider-Man he's a Spider-Man that's murdered and stuff like that and he still has all the memories of Peter and he remembers Ben Riley, so he has these big things to live up to and you know and he feels very damaged but at the same time he still wants to help people so I would say that and they they gave him a really short run and I don't know why his book was was um, cut so short although I'm sure it was because there wasn't enough readership in it which I don't know why because it's a great series I would pick up Scarlet Spider it's really really good it does a lot of really good explaining things. Um, so that you don't have to like go out and buy 80 comics and be like, who is this? What happened? Blah, 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 blah. Because Kane pretty much lays it out for you. And Chris Yost does a fantastic job. The art's amazing. The story's good. But yeah, Kane Parker doesn't get enough love. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, w- web shooters are naturally produced webbing. 
I don't understand what you're what you mean. Like which which which, which do you prefer? Are you are you are you the o, the OG and prefer the web shooters or do you do you like the whole natural thing that a couple of people have gotten on board with? Oh, web shooters all the way. It adds it adds okay. another problem because he can run out of web, and then also there's the whole classic um, science part of it, which was that he would make different web cartridges to deal with specific villains. Like he had one that would uh, harden Hydro Man, or he had one that would soften up, uh, or that would explode. Oh, really? Going into Sandman, that he made a stronger version to deal with Venom. He had an anti-electric one for shocker and electro i had no idea yeah so wow. there's the web shooter thing and it, it it's it becomes more of a, a plot device to have him have web shooters yeah. which is why when he went to natural webs that was soon erased because it's just it's okay it's too good to leave out it's good too good to not have so he he really is batman all the way down to the utility belt <laughs> yeah except he's got a spider That's what i'm hearing yeah right <laughs> Oh man, but he did have web shooters. I mean, he did have natural webbing in the comics for a short period, right? They did actually take that from the film and run with it, or was it reverse? Uh, reverse. He did have it for a while, and that was part of his mutation. And um, and actually, Kane has natural web, so he doesn't have web shooters. So there's that. Okay. All right. The more you know, I suppose. Um, I, I have I have one last big question for you, and I, I think this is probably the most important one uh, on this list. Uh, will there ever come a time when uh, Mysterio is taken seriously, or is this just never going to happen? Uh, who doesn't take Mysterio seriously? I think Mysterio is a villain that I want to see in the movies, but I want to see it done right. I don't want people to like make fun of him and be like, oh, Mysterio's... A joke because he's not he's a very very powerful villain and he's caused a lot of problems and most of his uh tricks and gimmicks are or because of spider-man they're they're mostly based on science and that's kind of this whole big thing is that um most of most of spider-man's villains are people that are smart but couldn't get in the doorway because of one reason or another. Like, life handed them a bad set of cards, and instead of being like Spider-Man, being like, you know what, I'll take this chip on my shoulder, and I'll keep trying to be positive. Instead, they turned right to crime. And so it's always that kind of, that flipped coin. You know, who's the other, what's the other side? You know, they're two sides of the same coin. Spider-Man went with the positive way, and these other people went with the negative way, and it's always interesting to see that. So Mysterio's not a joke. I would love to see... Mysterio in a movie. If you don't take Mysterio seriously, you should. All right. I well, I a, guess you you heard it here first. Go ahead. I Kara. have a, a comic recommendation actually that you don't really need to know backstory for in order to enjoy. Uh, Daredevil number nine from 2015, written by Charles Soule and uh, art by other people. Um, <laughs> I came across that, like close. two different listings of credits. I don't know which one to follow. <laughs> anyway, so it's so the art is gorgeous, and uh, the setup is Daredevil is in Macau, and he needs to rob a casino, so he calls Spider Man for help. So they're just having like a fun buddy team up, like doing a heist on this casino, and. I like it because they have really good banter, which I interpreted as really good chemistry. And I'm like obsessed with this issue and wrote like a mini fanfic of it for Tia. 
All right. Daredevil's Daredevil is Spider-Man's lawyer. They would have a great tit for tat. So that's, that's pretty great. So I recommend that one for just like a fun story of those two characters. I would also recommend any Ultimate Spider-Man with Miles Morales, especially all, well, obviously Bendis has uh, just finished writing it, but Miles Morales, Spider-Man, you don't really need to know anything about Peter Parker other than the fact that he existed. That series is great. It's a new take on Spider-Man, but still really similar. It's amazing. I would read, read all of Miles Morales, Spider-Man. All right. I think that sums it up pretty well. I guess there are some good recommendations for you to look into. Apparently Mysterio is not the joke that he was in the animated series. And uh, if anyone has any other further questions regarding Spider-Man, you need to contact Renee, it sounds like. Definitely don't contact me. I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) This has been I Read Comic Books. Go ahead and please follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Death Star Plans. You can follow Renee at Rodriguer29. You can follow Kara at Karazam. And of course, you can follow the whole show at IRCB Podcast where we retweet stuff in post polls like most likely thought broccoli tasted good as a kid. (laughs) And we have a uh, four different options to pick from of superhero characters that you think most likely thought broccoli was good as a kid. We have a Goodreads group with weekly threads. For example, this week's was what is the best comic book technology as in a really cool piece of technology that exists in a comic book. We have a website, ircbpodcast.com with a pronunciation guide to commonly mispronounced creator names and really rad merchandise. Make sure you rate and subscribe. That way you bring more listeners and ideas to the show. You can email the show at ircb at storythesive.org. Infinity Shred is the best. They do our music. Great, 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 great stuff. Another thing that's great, Xander. He is a wizard. He also edits the show. He also does all sorts of other things. He has his fingers in so many different pies, and they are so that good. so rude, uh, Sander. As James Franco put it. <laughs> anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And until next time, please remember, unlike our friend Han Solo, that Parsec is a unit of distance and not one of time. Keep that in mind next time you're going to brag about your own Kessel Run. <laughs> <laughs> Can I read you guys my fanfic? Because it's super quick. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, sure. Okay, so this was inspired. This is the f- thick, thick lit that I wrote inspired by Daredevil number nine. And I basically, like, messaged it to Tia as I went. And she was like, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here we go. We're going to get right into it. I have your boyfriend. Wade yelled into the dark sky, ignoring the struggling Spider-Man at his feet. He's not my boyfriend, Deadpool, Spider-Man said, exasperated that his proportional spider strength wasn't helping him out. Sure he is, the Merc cheerfully replied. He's going to echo love keep the shit out of us to find you, which I'm counting on because I need his help. You could have just asked without the kidnapping part, Spider-Man tried, but Wade just yelled, I'm waiting, you red horn scamp, to the higher rooftops. Huh, weird. Usually in fanfic, this is the part where the love interest shows up, Wade said, turning to peer down towards the street. What? 
Spider-Man asked, posing momentarily in his quest to remove the aggravatingly well-programmed wrist binders Deadpool had thoughtfully brought along. There's never any plot and fix like this, you know. Don't you, Internet? This is just set up, and Daredevil was standing between him and Spider-Man as he turned back. Hey now, right on cue, I told you he'd find you, Wade continued as he bent to look past Daredevil to his sort of captive. Echo location never fails. (laughs) Are you okay? Daredevil asked, turning towards Spider-Man slightly. Just confused, Spider-Man replied as the wrist binders fell off. He got to work on the ones trapping his ankles. You got here fast, he continued, as Daredevil turned to keep himself between the two red costume men. How did you know it was me and not some weird trap? You have a very distinct heartbeat, Daredevil said. No, seriously, Spider-Man looked up. Seriously, I think it's because of whatever gave you your powers. I knew it, Wade said, clapping rapidly. So, hey, Daredevil, I need your help with a thing. You available next Tuesday? You kidnap Spider-Man, Daredevil replied, shifting to note the police siren in the distance. And he's happy to see you. Or maybe his webbing is acting up. Anyways, Tuesday? Kind of need an answer now, or I need to find someone else to elaborately confuse into agreeing. Ow. Spider-Man rolled into a crouch, finally free. That might bruise. Hey, want to go stop whatever police are after? He asked, looking at, at Daredevil. Robbery, Daredevil replied, already moving to the edge of the roof. An instant later, they were gone. Balls! Time for plan B, Wade said to the receding backs of the heroes as they swung into the night. I wonder if there's a bat dude somewhere who also has hearing like that. Siri, is bat dude copyright infringement asking for a friend? (laughs) The end. (laughs) Very good, very good. (laughs) I'm very pleased with that one. I I like their banter. (laughs) <laughs> I got. I think we'll have to commission you for for a second installment for the show. We can we can turn it into an episodic it's series. The whole episode of Kara Reed's fanfic, <laughs> I think or at could. least I a mini. So give the people what they yeah. want. 